Hello, Renaissance. I'm Lee Strobel. Today, we're in week three of our series, Unearthed, as we look at the evidence for the Christian faith. Today, Rich and Clay are going to explore the question, who is the real Jesus? And that raises questions like, which viewpoint about Jesus is correct? And was he really the unique son of God or merely a great moral teacher? Next weekend, I'm going to wrap up this series. I'm going to be talking about my journey from atheism to Christianity and the evidence from the resurrection of Jesus that convinced me that he is who he claimed to be. I hope you'll invite some friends. I'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. Well, hey, you guys, welcome. Happy Mother's Day. Morning. A beautiful day out there. Glad that you are inside with us for an hour or so. And uh, if today is your first time here with us, we're really excited that you're here. Uh, we are, yes. Before you we something start. something you want to share. Before we start. the class. Is Dave Anthony still, is he in the house? Uh, Dave Anthony, uh, where were you playing Friday night? Dave is, is uh, plays He's drums. our drummer. He's our yeah. drummer. Masquerade. Masquerade. And who were you playing with? Billy Joel. Billy Joel. <laughs> you believe that? You're the man. Got it. I got to say that. I got to say, say that. that. That's right. good. That's right. good. Yeah. So we, uh, we're actually not at Madison Square Garden. We're here in Summit. But we are. But it's okay. That's all right. Sorry. We're, uh, as, as we've mentioned, we are in the third week of our series that we're calling Unearthed, and we're exploring evidence for the Christian faith. And today we're asking the question, will the real Jesus please stand up, which comes from a television show that was popular, I think, when you were... In college? Out of college? I'm not sure. When was that? You're not going to let that go, are you? No, it's fun. It was in the 50s. I remember the show very well. And you know what? I made a mistake last night, and there's only one person here that caught me on. I said Gary Moore was the host. He wasn't the host. He was the host of To Tell the Truth. It was Bud Collier who was the host. One guy here is old enough to remember that. Well, there you go. And I had no clue, so we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. But hey, so if you have ever you know, looked at the New York Times bestseller list at different times, you're going to see different books about who is Jesus. And they, they talk about the quest for the historical Jesus. And they're all uh, purporting to say, this is the view, this is the picture of what Jesus is like. The problem is that there are as many different views as there are books that have been written about Jesus. And so you've got pictures of Jesus ranging from uh, Jesus the charismatic leader to Jesus the religious thinker to Jesus the social revolutionary and, and on and on and on. And, and out of all of those, how do we know uh, who Jesus really was, what he really did, and, and, and ultimately what is the core of who Jesus is. And so that's the question that we're going to be talking about this morning. And I want us to kind of kick it off with a, a historical perspective. Rich, ever since I've known you the last seven and a half years or so. Is that uh, all it's been? It seems like a little bit longer, but it's only been about seven and a half years. It's yeah. been good. Uh, it's been good. Of, it's the, been. of those seven and a half years, it's been two of the best years of my life. And I really, <laughs> really appreciate that. I had a good month. <laughs> there we go. We, can you tell we enjoy doing this? It's a lot of fun. Um, but you, you're like, you're a history buff. You love reading history. You love talking about history. And I remember, I don't know how many times you have talked about how, from your perspective, Jesus is arguably the most influential person in the history of Western civilization and perhaps in the history of the world. So give us that, that perspective. No, in my view and in the view of people much smarter and uh, more learned than I am, Jesus, slam dunk, he is the most influential person in the history of Western, in, in Western civilization history. Um, let me just talk about a few things. Over the centuries, it's, it's always been the people of God, the church. 
that has initiated medical care, hospitals, educational facilities, <laughs> welfare services, had the influence of over culture and, and, and uh, art during, you know, throughout history. Think Middle Ages, think Da Vinci, those guys, all sponsored by the church. The church. So much of our music that yep. we sing, not just at holiday times, but at other times, is sacred music that was written about God or with that perspective in mind. Well, yeah, and, and, and I don't want to, I don't want you to think that we're saying all these people were people of faith, but the, the artists, the composers, and so forth, but they were sponsored. They were paid by the church right. to, to, to do these things. So that's, that's why we credit uh, Jesus and, and his followers for, for these things. Uh, Eastern, Eastern Christmas, obviously, national holidays in the Western world. Um, but hey, even, even as they say uh, in, in the New York Times, even greedy Wall Street uh, closes down for Good Friday. Good Friday. I yeah. mean, you know, how does that happen? So, I mean, it, it, I mean, it goes on, and, and, and then, of course, we have the calendar thing. Where'd you get your calendar? I got my calendar. It's on my iPhone. That's where it came. Okay, yeah, it okay. came from there. But, no, I think you're asking about, when, when you think about this is, uh, this year is 2014, yeah. and that yeah. is roughly, you know, 2014, 2014 years after the birth of Jesus. We know it was probably born in 4 BC, and, you know, that's the nerd in me, the math aspect of it. But, historically speaking, our calendar is based on the year of Jesus' birth. Yeah, every time, we, every time we, we have a year, it is implicit reference to the birth of Christ. Yeah. And some people, they've tried to, some people have tried to change that a little bit. But it's, it's there. We can't it's get there. away from it. Yeah. Um, Jesus originated the concept of love your neighbor. As, as another example, um, in, in uh, Matthew, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is love your neighbor as yourself originated it or more popularized it? You caught me on that one, I know. Caught me on that last night. He, he did not originate it. He popularized it. It was, he, it was quoting from the Old Testament. From the Old Testament, yeah. Yeah, yeah so. But clearly the Judeo-Christian heritage there. The parable of the Good Samaritan. That's uh, mm-hmm. another one that is just, again, part of our vernacular, much right. like love your neighbor. Jesus did originate that with the story of the Good Samaritan. In fact, today we have... We have all kinds of things named the Good Samaritan, whatever. You can go down the hospital walk, or whatever. Hospitals, it is, yeah. whatever. And that was Jesus telling the story of the of the Samaritan that, that helped the, the guy that was uh, that was hurt. Um, Jesus, he he taught that humans have human life is valuable, right? That humans have dignity. A basic ten, one of the basic tenets of, of the Western world is the we call the golden rule. Right. I need to, I need to say it. Last night somebody said to me. I had a such-and-such education. I'm not going to say what church education is. I don't know what the golden rule is. So well, let, me, let me tell you what it is. Uh, in, everything, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, Matthew chapter 7. So um, Jesus originated that, and we right. still have that throughout Western civilization, you know, the, the whole golden rule. And as you know, I get pretty passionate because um, Jesus, in the influence of Jesus and his followers, I mean, they, it, it was a game changer for, for women and children and the infirmed. A mm-hmm. um, book that I read in part of my research is a book called um, Who Is This Man by John Ortberg. A great book, by the way. Who Is This Man? John Ortberg. Um, he says this, Christianity played a role in ending practices such as human sacrifice, slavery, infanticide, and polygamy. Right. That's John Ortberg quote. Um, the Mediterranean world into which Jesus was born. This is a very interesting little fact, uh, <coughs> an ugly fact, that um, the world that Jesus was born into, outside of Israel, uh, the sexual use of enslaved, illiterate children was neither uncommon, it was not illegal, nor was it considered particularly a big deal. Ah, no big deal. Uh, when, you, when you think about that, I mean, Bonhoeffer put it this way, Jesus gave women 
uh, gave women human dignity prior to Jesus when women were regarded as inferior beings, religiously speaking. Um, uh, I mean, it goes on. And here's another little, little non-trivial piece of trivia. In ancient Sparta, before the influence of Jesus, a mother who gave birth to a son would receive twice the food rations as the mother who gave birth to a daughter. Um, I mean, it's been the people of faith. Uh, Wilberforce. Wilberforce, right. Yeah, William Wilberforce. trade in England. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did so much. He didn't, he, he, William Wilberforce, if you haven't read or, or seen the movie, and I recommend both, and there's a lot of books on him now. The movie was William Wilberforce. What? Wasn't it Amazing Grace? The, the Amazing, you're right. Yeah. Amazing Grace. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Wilberforce was a, uh, um, in, in, in England, and he, he was, came to Christ, and he was going to go into the ministry. Right. And he went and he, and he talked to John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, and Newton said, stay where you are and influence society. He was a member of parliament yes. and, and had that influence exactly. in that in, way. Influence yeah. society. And he, he really is the one that brought down the slave trade in the Western world. It started in England. We were a little slower in this country about 20 years later. But, it, but Wilberforce is really the one who brought down slave trade. But he, he, you know, he did so many other things, too. I mean, like uh, he, the other thing, he was like the reformation of manners. Mm. And I, when I heard that the first time, I like manners, like putting your elbows on the table. Um, and it, it had mo- more to do with the treatment of women and children again, mm. and even animals. He started the first, uh, uh, um, what do they call it? Uh, but you don't abuse animals. What's that called? Like veterinary hospital or something no, like that? No, I mean, he, he, he was the first one to popularize, we don't beat our animals. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Treat them humane, well. Humane society. Okay. Things. So anyway, he was a believer. This all came from him. Uh, let me give you... Two quotes, and then I'll stop, okay? Backy, first of all, uh, great writer of history. It is where the church spread in the early centuries after Jesus that girls ceased as a matter of routine being disposed of at birth and being enslaved and sexually exploited in the world. I mean, this is just such a game changer for everything. I mean, you you hear the bells at Christmas time, you put money in the little thing. Salvation Army. Salvation Army. William Booth, a believer, started this as as a Christian to to help the poor and and the infirmed again. uh, World Vision, YMCA, Samaritan's Purse, Compassion International, Habitat for Humanity, all those started by people who were of, of Christ followers. Who wanted to live out, to be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, in this society, in exactly. this world, and make a difference in, exactly. in that way, in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Um, now, you were telling me before you came to Renaissance, you were involved actually in uh, ministry. Uh, similar to some of these things that I, you I did was. for a number of years. Tell, yeah, tell us um, about that one. About three years after I left the church in Vail. Uh, inter- it's called the International Fellowships out of Washington, D.C. And they do a, a lot of things. Uh, but one of the things that I, I was assigned to do was uh, help start orphanages in Russia. So I spent three years traipsing around Russia. That's no easy thing to do, by the way. Uh, I loved it, but, I mean, it was, it was you know, some, Challenging. Of the, some of those trains are, are pretty uh, amazing. But, uh, you, you know, you walk in and you feel like you just, you know, you're going to get infected with some kind of germ. But anyway, um, that's another issue. Um, but here's, here's the thing. In, in, in former Soviet Union, it wasn't just Russia, former Soviet Union, from 1918, Bolshevik Revolution, to 1990-ish, mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan, when the, when the curtain came down, Jesus, the concept of God wasn't even mentioned in, in the former Soviet Union. So what happens to those who can't help themselves? Hundreds of thousands of children. We would we would find homes where a twelve-year-old is the head of the home, not for the day, but for all for the whole. Their, their mother and dad are dead, and there's no way to take care of them. Right. And, right. and without without people of faith, um, 
These, these people fall through the cracks. The, the, the children, the, the elderly, the, the infirmed, the, you know, the survival of the fittest is, is, is what it literally becomes. Right. And so we, me and many organizations, all of them faith-based, we're, we were starting um, um, orphanages throughout the former Soviet Union. And it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. But it was mm. because it's been a godless culture for so long, and it's not part of the West, that all these things were fought, all these people, these humans, these children were falling through the cracks, and it was, it was awful. That's what happens when you take God, Jesus, out of a, out of a yeah. culture. And um, I got one more thing for you. Can I do this? I got one more quote. No, and I'll you can go for about it. This stuff. Go for it. Uh, I don't know, you, this is a quote I know you're not going to be crazy about because this guy's a, he's not at Princeton, but uh, he's at Yale. That's all right. We'll, we'll let it go. That's kind of like University of Alabama, right? Mm, no. <laughs> no. University of Alabama has a little bit better football team. We do. We do. Amen. Um, anyway, this is a guy by the name of Pelican, and, um, a Yale professor. Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? We live in a world where Jesus' impact is immense. Even his name goes, even if his, even if his name goes unmentioned. In some ways, our biggest challenge engaging his influence is that we take for granted the ways in which our world has been shaped by him. Yeah. And I would only add to that, if you really want to see uh, the difference of the impact of Jesus in a culture, go somewhere that's not part of the West, even today. Go, that's not part, and I, you can name a lot of countries that are not part of the Western, Western world, so to speak. See how they treat women. See how they treat children. See how they treat the infirmed. It's not pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me push back on you a little bit on this one, okay. all right? We're going to have a fun with this one. All right. Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa. How is Jesus different than folks like that who made a big difference in the, in, uh, in the world in terms of helping the poor, the needy, the infirmed, you know, the orphan, et cetera. How's, how's Jesus? Well, you got to help me understand that more. What do you mean by that? Okay, okay. So step back for a second. And you look and you see Gandhi, who did not consider himself to be a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, though he respected Jesus. Yeah, he was respectful. Respected yeah. Jesus. Martin Luther King Jr., huge influence in this country in, in, in terms of race relations and, and so many other things. Yeah, pastor. Yeah. You know, uh, you've got Mother Teresa made a huge difference in part of the world, in terms of the poor and the needy. Uh, Steve Jobs, right? Steve Jobs changed the world. So other than Jesus didn't invent the iPhone, what's the difference between Jesus and Steve Jobs or Mother Teresa or, or Gandhi? I mean, you know the quote from uh, Steve Jobs when he was trying to lure John Scully, CEO of Pepsi-Cola, mm-hmm. trying to lure Very him cool. away and bring him to Apple. He says, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to come with me and change the world? Steve Jobs changed the world. So did, did Mother Teresa. So did Gandhi. What's the difference between Jesus well, and, and those guys? I mean, obviously, the, 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 clear, the clear answer there is they never claim to be God, right? And they never claim they're going to forgive our sins. So, I mean, that's kind of a big difference. So the uniqueness of Jesus is not that he made a difference in the world in terms of right. improving culture right. and civilization, though that's obviously hugely important, but... Uh, he claimed to be God and assuming that he is yeah. God, and that's, you know, that's part of the challenge, that's part of the question, uh, assuming that he's the one who came to forgive sins, then there's a categorical difference 
between him and all these other people. And so when you're asking the question of who is Jesus, at the center of the claim of who he is, is not just the difference he made in the world, as, as hugely important as that is, but his claim to be God, his claim to be the savior of the world, his claim to be the one who, the creator who stepped out of creation into time and in, in order to, uh, to, to rescue us from a plight, really, of, yeah. of our own yeah. causing. No, 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 no question about that. You know, the, uh, we've talked about uh, the C.S. Lewis uh, argument, liar, lunatic, Lord. And, and if you're not familiar with that, C.S. Lewis, a great uh, writer and, and thinker of the last century, argued that you can't just see Jesus as a great moral teacher or someone who has brought a change to the world because he's made such outrageous claims. You either have to see him as Lord, who he claimed to be, or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. But you can't just see him as a, as a great uh, you know, moral teacher, philosopher, no, you can't. You that can't. sort of thing. And there was actually a, a, an Irish philosopher and poet, uh, Sir Paul David Hewson, who made a similar point in a more uh, poetic kind of a Anybody way. Anybody here that wasn't here in any of the other services know who, who Sir... What's Paul name? David Hewson. Anybody know who that is? Pardon Bono, there you go. Hey, so we got the, I think it sounded like Joe Narciso in the back. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. He cheated. There we go. There he you go. Yeah. So yeah, so Bono, I love the way he puts it. He takes C.S. Lewis's argument, and I love the way he puts it's it. It's great. It's great. He says, look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy. He had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off that hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate. And people say, no, no, please just be a prophet. A prophet we can take, but don't mention the M word because you know we're gonna have to crucify you. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or he was a complete nutcase. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. When I look at the cross of Christ, what I see up there is all my junk and everybody else's. So I ask myself a question a lot of people have asked. Who is this man? And was he who he said he was, or was he just a religious nut? And there it is, and that's the question. And I love the way he boils it down. He, he just does. says, who is this man? Because you can't, you can't just say he was a great moral teacher. He's either who he claimed he was or he's a nutcase. Right. You don't really have the option uh, of, of something in between. There are a few obvious things we need to deal with, speaking of that with Jesus. One of them would be, of course, his, his crucifixion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 and basically, why was he crucified? People ask that all the time. And when you look at all these different portraits of who Jesus is, whether he's the, you know, the revolutionary poet or the charismatic teacher or you know, the moral philosopher or whatever it is, they all have to deal with that issue mm-hmm. of Jesus' crucifixion because wherever you are on a faith or non-faith spectrum, everybody who agrees that Jesus existed, that he lived and that he died, everybody agrees that he was crucified by the Romans at the request of the Jewish religious leaders. And so that, that fact is unavoidable. Yeah, I, I want to I clarify with that one. Because you're, are you saying that even the people, theologically, we would say are on the way left, mm-hmm. they, would, they would agree, Jesus, 
if they believe he existed, they would, they would say that he was crucified. Absolutely. And, and atheists, agnostics, skeptics, that's the one thing. His crucifixion is not really debated. His resurrection, absolutely debated, right? right. right? The, the other miracles that he did, absolutely debated. Even some of the things that he said, those are debated. But the fact that he was crucified by the Romans at the request of the Jewish religious leaders, that one's not debated. And the, the problem or the challenge in, in, in all of this is, Roman Israel were not friends at this point. So how is it, what did no. Jesus do to tick off the religious leaders enough that they wanted to have him killed? And then how were they able to convince the Romans to kill Do Jesus? Yeah. And then why was Jesus actually crucified? Because from a Roman perspective, they had a whole bunch of different ways that they could execute people. And a crucifixion was reserved for political insurrectionists. So how did Israel see Jesus as a religious threat and Rome see him as a political threat? And that's the biggest challenge as you're trying to figure out who Jesus is. And when you solve that one, you really right. get at the core of Jesus' identity. Well, um, from the Jewish perspective, um, Jesus claiming to be God, that was problematic. That was seriously right. problematic yeah. and, and worthy of death. It's, it's considered to right. be blasphemy. Right. Right. Uh, let's take a look real quick at, at John chapter 8. John is one of the uh, gospels, one of the biographies of Jesus. And Jesus in John 8 says, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. He's having this, this debate back and forth with the Jewish religious leaders. And I love what he does there. He really messes with the grammar. Before Abraham was born, I am. And we hear that and we see the grammatical thing. But uh, the people with whom he was talking at that point are going to see something even deeper than that because this phrase, I am, as you know, Rich, is, is a reference to Exodus yeah. three fourteen, where Moses at the burning bush encountering God and Moses says to God, who are you? When you're sending me to, to take the, the people of Israel out of Egypt, who am I going to say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. I'm the eternal present. You know, time doesn't mean to me, what it means to you. So I am. And so when Jesus quotes this and says, before Abraham was born, I am, he's saying, I am the God of the Hebrew scriptures. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and so on. And when they hear this, they immediately realize that he's claiming to be God. And so they pick up stones, verse 59. They pick up stones to stone him. Why? Because yeah, from their perspective, he's claiming to be God. When he's not, that's blasphemy. And the only appropriate response is to, to try to kill him. They weren't able to do it at this point. But that's what they were trying to do at that point. And then, and then he says, I'm, I'll, I'm here to forgive sins. Yeah. That didn't make any friends with the Jewish community. Either. No, it doesn't make any friends first because when you claim to be able to forgive sins, only God can ultimately yeah. forgive sins. So that's right. more blasphemy from that perspective. But there's also the assumption that you need your sins forgiven. And again, from the, from the Jewish religious perspective at that time, they're the people of God and they're in right with God and they don't need this kind of forgiveness that Jesus is offering, so they don't like what he's trying to say. And then add to that, that at, his, at one of his trials, he essentially says, you're sitting there in judgment over me? I'm going to come back and I'm going to judge you. So he did more than enough, especially the claim to be God, uh, to, to, to tick them off enough that they wanted to kill him. Yeah, yeah. Well, that um, obviously would, the next thing is the resurrection. Yes, but before we, before we go to the resurrection, 
I think we have to answer the question. Okay, oh, that deals with Israel. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. What about let, Rome? Let me, yeah, let me talk about that because yeah. um, this really gave me some personal angst years ago when I first started studying it um, uh, in, in studying for the pastorate. Because, I, I mean, as I began to understand it, I understood the Jewish thing. Right. Um, I understood their problem. That's, I, that, that's that, pretty obvious. That if you're claiming pretty, to be God, key. that's going to be a problem. But the thing that, to, and I know now, but at the time I was thinking, how did Rome ever agree to do this? Because, I mean, they're the occupying power. Right. They hate each other. Right. Yeah, right. They don't want to do any favors for Israel to deal with one of their religious, you know, disputes that they're having there. Yeah. And the key thing from a Roman perspective is they saw Jesus claiming to be king, and so they see him as a threat to Caesar. Now, that's clearly linked to his claim to be God because he's the king of kings, lord of lords. But where they see that, and and perhaps the primary place where they see that is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. You talked about that, what, three or four weeks ago on Palm Sunday. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. They're laying their coats on the ground. They're laying palm branches on the ground. He's riding in on a donkey and being hailed as the, the king of Israel entering into Jerusalem. And the Romans don't like this because they see that as a political threat to Caesar. So when you put that all together, his right. claim to be God, his claim to be king, they really link together. And that is at the core of who Jesus is. And that's at the core of why he was crucified. Well, and, and also they thought Caesar was God, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the absolutely. Okay. So it, all, it yeah. all kind of links there together. And now let's talk about the resurrection because that's a key component of this whole thing. And this is where I'm looking forward to next week because Lee's going to talk about the evidence that he found for the proof of the resurrection. But talk about how, you know, that... The, that, the that's significance key, there. That's, yeah. a key, that's a significant thing. And again, nobody debates the crucifixion. A lot of debate about yeah. the resurrection. That's what we're yeah. going to be, be focusing on next week. But if, again, if you step back and you ask yourself, anybody who can predict their own death and their own resurrection and pull it off, there you go, right? Right? I mean, so that's... And take Martin Luther King yeah, Jr., for, for example, him. right? He predi- most people think, or a lot of people think, that he predicted his death. You know, I'm, I, I'm talking about the promised land. I may not get there, right, right. but I see it coming. And so was that a prediction of his death? Probably it was. He had some premonition that he was, was going to die, but he didn't predict his own resurrection. He hasn't been raised from the dead, although I'm looking forward to meeting him in heaven. He's follower of Jesus, yeah. looking forward to, to yeah. finding out more yeah, you know, about that. Yeah. But Jesus predicted his, his own death and his own resurrection. Mark chapter 8, Jesus began to teach his followers that the Son of Man, and that's the way he would refer to himself, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that's the Jewish religious leaders, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And that idea that he was going to be, have to be killed because, see, they're seeing him as the conquering king, as the Messiah. They don't have this category for a dead Messiah. So from their perspective, they actually began to argue with him and say, no, you're not going to be killed. Who's going to kill you? No, that's not going to happen. And then you got the, his prediction of the resurrection. So after he's killed, what happens? They scatter, they hide, they're, you know, they're afraid for those three days yeah. before the resurrection. Did they not hear it? That's kind of hard to say because he mentioned it a whole bunch of times. Did they not understand it? Did they not believe it? Did they forget it? We don't know what was actually going on inside of them, but they weren't expecting him to rise from the dead. But when he did, they look back and they say, oh yeah, he talked about that. Yeah. He said he was going to die. He said he was going to rise again. There's something different 
about him. He's unique. Yeah, he changed the world, but he pulled off his own death and resurrection. <laughs> That's categorically different than any of those other people who have changed the world in different yeah. ways. You know, and, and as C.S. Lewis put it, as Bono put it, Jesus' claims are so outrageous. They're so outrageous that we either have to fall at his feet and worship him and follow him, or we have to reject him, as Bono put it, as a nutcase. There, there just isn't a middle ground because his claims are so outrageous. So Great. let me kind of shift gears just a little bit here and, and, and ask you to bring a, a pastoral perspective to this. You know, we're, we've been talking about a lot of the evidence and this sort of thing. Right. From a pastoral perspective, talk to us about that, who Jesus is. Um, just, if you could for a moment, picture yourself living in the first century. Um, and, I mean... There's no assurance of tomorrow, to say the least. Um, you're fighting daily, literally, to keep your family safe and fed. There's no backup. There's no government programs, no government subsidies, no church programs, no food banks. I mean, and it's a grind. And it's a grind just to survive. I mean, you talk about, you know, talk about, you know, free time. There's no free time because you're just trying to survive. And then you hear this from this rabbi that you've heard so much about. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's Jesus' words in Matthew. Now, here we are some 20 centuries later, and we're, we're probably not going to starve those of us at least in the West, uh, we're probably not in danger of losing a, a roof over our head. It may not be the roof we want, but we're probably not in danger of that. It's someplace we can always go for a roof. And, and, and we're not too concerned about some marauding nomadic tribe coming through and taking my family captive as slaves or the bully Roman army coming in and conscripting us, and, which happened all the time uh, in those days. We're not too worried about that, but, but we, do, we do have a grind, don't we? I mean, work, you love your job, maybe have a love-hate relationship with it. it, 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 it it's the grind, and, and it, it causes stress, and it causes worry, and, and it causes you to test your, your emotional and physical limits sometimes. It's just, just a grind at times. And you're just like, oh, you know, I, I, here it goes. And then you see these words, same, same words in a different paraphrase. You see these words. Are you tired? Again, the words of Jesus in a different paraphrase. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on, burned out on religion? Yep. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover my life. Excuse me, you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the invitation from Jesus. <clears throat> come trust in me. You know, I've come to save you from your sins and to offer you forgiveness that we also desperately need. Um, he's, come to, he, he's saying, I, I, I've come to save you, rich from yourself and your selfishness and, and your tendencies to trust in, in, your, in your work and your success and your performance that still leaves you empty, right? Jesus says, come to me. I made that choice many years ago when I came to Christ. 
decided to trust in him as my Savior and my Lord. For some of you, that might be this morning where you say, you know what? What a great day, Mother's Day, to say, I want to trust you, Jesus. And you can do that right where you are. But even, even more so than just that, now, as for me, a longtime follower of Christ, I still have the daily choice of saying, Lord, today I still, I'm still here, you're still there, I still need you, I still need you to come into my life, I still need grace, I need to come to you for grace and for forgiveness and for rest from me and, and all my stuff. I still need to do that. I need to make that choice daily as I come to Christ. We all do. And um, that's what I take from this. That's great. That's great. Thank you. Want to pray for us? You bet. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the creator of the universe. I thank you that you uh, were willing to step out of eternity into time to come to the earth, to be born as a man, to suffer, to live, to, to die, to rise again, uh, that we could be restored to a right relationship with our heavenly father. I thank you for the, for the forgiveness of sins that we can enjoy. I thank you for the restored relationships that we can enjoy with one another as, as, uh, as we trust in you. Thank you for uh, all the ways in which your followers have made a difference uh, in the world, in the lives of so many different people. And I thank you for the privilege that we've had uh, this morning to talk about these things. And I pray for each of us wherever we are. I pray that our, our love for you would grow, our desire to follow you would grow, our desire to know we, you would grow. And for, for those of us who have questions, who have doubts, who have concerns, who aren't sure, uh, or maybe questioning whether you really rose from the dead, I pray that uh, you would reveal yourself to us and that you would give us an assurance and a hope and a trust in you and a love for you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming out this morning and we hope that you'll come back next week as Lee Strobel is here talking about his journey from skepticism to faith. Happy Mother's Day. Have a great weekend.